I think if anyone's kind of discouraged or kind of having second thoughts, just kind of know that you're not alone. There are so many of us out there who don't really know what we want. You can be 18, you can be 35, you can be 60. And it doesn't matter because you will find someone in this lifestyle at any job you take who's going to be in the exact same shoes you are in. And if they're not, they work. This is the Seasonals Podcast, a show where we talk to people living the seasonal lifestyle. We take an in-depth look at the decision points they've encountered along the way. I'm here today with Pinnock. He's out of Anchorage, Alaska. It's actually another guest that I've never met. Uh, I've talked to a few times over Facebook Messenger. He's got a cool story. I'm really excited to hear about it. How are we doing today, Pinnock? Hey, I'm great. Thanks for having me on. I'm really excited to talk to you and share my story. Me too. A lot of the guests that I have on the podcast, I know beforehand. And I'm really excited that you're coming on and sharing your story because I I don't know much at all about it. And so I know I'm going to have a lot of questions. And from a few of the pictures I've seen and some of the stuff you've told me, I know it's a lot going on there. So where are you from and how did you get into the whole seasonal lifestyle? Think about when people ask me where I'm from, it, it's kind of funny because you know I've, by this point now, I've lived in seven states. And I kind of jokingly say that, oh, I'm just from the U.S. I'm from the United States. But I was born and raised in Georgia. You couldn't tell by my accent. But I typically don't claim it because I don't sound anything like I'm from the South. But I guess my formative years were spent in Washington State, Central Washington, Eastern Washington. Um, Lived in Seattle for a few years. I was living in Seattle before I started working seasonally. And that's kind of what... uh, kind of spurred me on to start working seasonally in in Alaska specifically, because as I'm sure you know, Alaska and Seattle have a really close connection. Seattle has always been kind of like the jumping off point for people coming into Alaska. And I decided that I had kind of had this series of life altering events happen to me all at once that kind of sparked my desire to work seasonally. So to kind of give you a little backstory on that, it was fall of 2010, still kind of, you know, we were coming out of the economic recession then. I had a job, you know, I had what they call like a a career job or what, you know, some people in the seasonal work field refer to as a real job, like doing air quotes right now, a real job. And wasn't really happy with it. You know, living in Seattle, Washington, expensive city, kind of an expensive lifestyle, wasn't really satisfied with it. I was in a very unhappy marriage. Just kind of all of a sudden things just fell apart instantaneously. Within the period of about three weeks, I lost my job, my marriage ended, and I got kicked out of my apartment. So effectively, I hear I was at the age of 27 with no home, no job, and on my own for the first time since basically I left home after high school. So I was kind of at a loss to do something next. I talked to a lot of friends, and at that point in time, a lot of people in my age group, and just for reference, I'm 35 now, they were going back to school. They were going to grad school, getting another bachelor's degree, getting another certificate, anything to try to get them an edge in the job market because it was just so competitive back then during the economic recession. Everybody was looking to reinvent themselves. And so I kind of had that same idea initially, ultimately decided against it because I just couldn't afford it. (laughs) Bottom line, I already had a lot of student loan debt at the time and couldn't really afford to take on any more debt. So I kind of had a chance encounter with an old friend from high school who worked in Alaska one summer. I hadn't seen this person since high school. And we sat down and talked and we kind of had similar stories. And she said, you know, you can do anything you want now. You can go anywhere. You can do anything. Why would you just get back into more debt, go back into school and just try to be in the same exact situation you were in that you were so unhappy with? So I said, yeah, you know, that's, that's right. I should probably do something different, but I was afraid to, you know. And so she said, you should go work in Alaska because she worked in uh, Denali National Park uh, at a place called Camp Denali. 
I was thinking, what are you, come on, Alaska, is that a real place? Isn't it just full of penguins and frozen and the inhospitable wasteland? Talking like that now just explains how much ignorance I had about Alaska at the time, but I had never been to Alaska before then, and I didn't know anything. And so I kind of like brushed it off initially, like, no, I'll stay. I was living in Bellingham, Washington at that time. It's like, I'll just stay in Bellingham. I'll I'll figure out something. But as I'm saying this, I am working two days a week, washing dishes at a burger restaurant, uh, living in a 150 square foot studio and barely making ends meet. So I decided that after a while, I just started applying to jobs in Alaska. I didn't care where I was going to go. I didn't care what I was going to do. I just started applying for jobs. Uh, Oddly enough, I found on the Bellingham Craigslist, there was an ad that said, come drive a tour bus in Alaska this summer. No experience necessary. We will train you. And I'm thinking, well, that's kind of cool. You get a CDL for free and you get not only for free, but you get paid to, to have it and they pay for you to go up to Alaska and work. So I figured, great, I'll do that. So I applied and I put down, you had to put down where you wanted to work in Alaska. And again, not really knowing much about Alaska. I had no idea where to put. But uh, my roommate in college, he was from Ketchikan, Alaska. Uh, when I saw the word Ketchikan there, I kind of jumped out at me. It's like, oh, my roommate, he's from there. I've heard of this place, oddly enough. I decided to put Ketchikan as my first choice. Again, never having been there, not knowing anything about it. And I put Ketchikan, applied within the next day, got a call for an interview, interviewed over the phone. And by the end of that month, I had the job and went up to Ketchikan in April of 2011. Spent my first summer up there and kind of the, after that, the rest is history. I've been working seasonally ever since and about to go into my ninth season working in Alaska. How many years were you in Ketchikan? I, I just did one summer. And part of that was is that I didn't dislike the community or dislike the area. Uh, I just wanted to kind of see more of the state. And I also, honestly, I despise the rain. And that particular (laughs) summer was really rainy. And, you know, I lived in Seattle for years and, you know, Western Washington, and I just was done with the rain. And But, you know, I've gone back and visited a couple of times. I love the ocean, the rainforest, the, the lifestyle there, the community. But I just wanted to kind of see more of the state. Yeah, we had two summers ago, we had the rainiest summer in recorded history there. And it was, it was pretty terrible. A lot of the first year seasonals I told him, I was like, well, if you come back next year, it'll definitely be better. (laughs) Yeah. You said you, you went to Alaska in the summers after that first summer in Ketchikan, where did you go next? Well, I was just going to go right back to Washington uh, and kind of try to reintegrate myself into what I was doing before. But I met someone in Ketchikan, who was going to go work in Park City, Utah. And I had, again, never really been to Utah. I didn't know anything about Park City. The only thing I knew is that I loved to ski and snowboard. I decided to go to Park City again, kind of sight unseen. Got a job working at Deer Valley Ski Resort. Ended up working at Park City for that next winter season. So you were at the ski resort, but which job were you doing? So it was a driving job. It wasn't driving a bus. It was kind of, they called it a bellman slash valet, where you drove people around to dinner to get them groceries, to run errands for them, bring up their luggage. It was a collection of rental properties managed by Deer Valley throughout the, the town of Park City. And actually kind of a cush gig, you know, you get to you worked from three to 11. So you got to ski all morning and go to work and then work till 11 o'clock at night and just take people to dinner, drive around Cadillac Escalades. It it was a pretty nice uh, transition from driving the buses for sure. Yeah. That actually sounds like a pretty cool job. (laughs) Yeah. You work in Ketchikan the first summer and then you go to Utah. When you were deciding what to do after that winter, Let's zoom in on that. You had just finished a full, almost a full year of seasonal work. So I'm sure you were thinking of, this is how I think it went. This is, is this something I can keep doing? What were your thoughts there? And how did those thoughts turn into a decision about the next summer? You know, that after that first summer, I kind of thought I would only do one summer in Alaska. But as the winter went on when I was in Utah, I just couldn't stop thinking about Alaska. I just wanted to be back there and I wanted to see more of it. And I kind of started thinking to myself, you know, well, for the first time in a long time, I enjoy working. Like, I look forward to going to work. 
it's not something that I dread. You know, if you love what you do, you don't work a day in your life. And I was thinking, I want more of that. I wanted to go back to Alaska because I feel like I'd only really scratched the surface. And that was kind of like my main rationale for coming back to Alaska was just kind of trying to explore more and kind of actually starting to really kind of settle in to the seasonal lifestyle. And so did you get a job with the same company you had worked for, but in a different city? I did. Yeah. I was still working for the same company, but then I transitioned into a different role, kind of like a supervisory role in Anchorage. And so Anchorage is the largest city in Alaska, probably what? A hundred thousand, maybe 80,000 people. Is that? It's it's about 300,000. Oh, okay. 300. So 300,000 where Ketchikan has eight to 13,000, depending on the time of year. Right. And so how, how was that different? And, um, sort of what was your day-to-day life in that new position in the job? Uh, definitely a transition. You know, I drove up the Alcan highway, well, actually ferried part of it, ferried from Bellingham, Washington to Haines, Alaska, and then drove from Haines into Anchorage. And I'll never forget, I still tell people this, the first time I ever drove into Anchorage, it was, you know, about mid-April breakup season here in South Central Alaska. We don't have spring. We have breakup where all the snow is melting and it just, it just looks hideous outside. Nothing's blue and there's just dirty rotten snow everywhere. And I drove into Anchorage, you know, the only way you can drive in from Canada on the Glen Highway, Fifth Avenue. And I looked around and it just looked dirty and dingy. I was thinking, oh my God, I've made a terrible mistake. Why did I do this? Why didn't I go back to catch again? And it was kind of a tough transition at first. It didn't feel like Alaska. Like we have this joke here in Anchorage where Anchorage is just 15 minutes from Alaska. But I gradually learned to appreciate Anchorage for for its accessibility because it is easy to get in and out of Anchorage. You can drive out. It's easy to fly out. There's a lot of great recreational opportunities not far out of the city. And in terms of just kind of what I was doing for work, I was, you know, like I mentioned before, I was still working for the same company, but as a supervisor and wasn't really happy with that. Really, really missed being on the road, missed driving a bus. Kind of was a difficult transition for me. Didn't really want to have that kind of uh, responsibility I had in that role. And uh, oddly enough, even though it was considered a promotion, it was a pay cut because you don't get tips in that position. So I ended up uh, just doing one season of that. And then the next year, uh, transitioned back into the role of a driver. And you went back to Anchorage? Correct. Yes. And so you've been in Anchorage, let's see, your first summer was 2012. Each summer you've gone back to Anchorage? Except for one. The summer of 2016, I was actually living in Homer, Alaska. And so that second winter after Anchorage, where did you go from there? I didn't really consider going back to Utah. Uh, just because at that point in time in my life, I was kind of more the mindset of like, well, you know, been there, done that. I should try somewhere new. So that next winter, I went to Kailua, Kona, Hawaii, because one of my best friends from high school was living there. And I visited there for the first time shortly after my life fell apart, after I got divorced, after I lost my apartment. And it kind of like really rejuvenated me, really kind of saved me in a way. And I always kind of really appreciated that time. So I decided that I would go and live in Hawaii. And I figured it was kind of a natural transition because so many people from Alaska winter in Hawaii or vacation in Hawaii. And I already kind of had an in with an employer and with a job there and had a place to live. So it kind of seemed like a natural fit. And which job did you do that winter? So actually, it wasn't really a, a job in the tourism industry. I was working at the Kona Airport driving the airport shuttle, basically just driving in circles all day for a rental car company, picking people up from the terminal, taking them to the rental car company, then taking people who were returning their cars, taking them back to the airport. So not the most stimulating job, but it paid the bills. Those guys, when I've seen them, they always seem to be in a good mood for the most part. I mean, they're picking people up, taking them in their car or taking them from their car back to the office or whatever. And it's usually people traveling or on their way or on their way back from vacation. So they usually have a smile on their face. Yeah. And and normally it was like that, but 
I kind of learned over time that that flying in airports just make people crazy. They make it makes them angry. Even if they're in Hawaii, like sometimes they would just be super frustrated. You know, I get it. It's a long flight from anywhere to get to Hawaii. It's a massive time difference for most people. But for the most part, people were genuinely happy and excited to, to be in Hawaii. Do you do you have a, a story in particular that is the craziest person you had to deal with while you were doing that job? Oh, yeah. Oh, I'll never forget it. It was actually one of the nights where it inspired me to... And I, I, I hate doing this, and I've, I've never really done this, was just to walk off the job and never come back. We had a... It's really hard to find good help in Hawaii. Uh, especially in a skilled position like like being a CDL driver, and this position was a CDL driving position, and we were pretty short staffed. And I was working at night, and just five flights came down at once, and I was the only shuttle bus. And the shuttle bus only holds nineteen people. And this rental car company was really really popular because they are one of the more inexpensive ones to get. And I was going through the terminal, and I my my bus filled up right at the first terminal. And I still had to go to the second and third terminal. And I had people chasing after me, like running down the road, trying to get me to stop people, like almost throwing their themselves in front of me, try to get me to stop. And I'm kind of thinking, I can't, you know, you can't fit in here. Like we're packed to the, the, the literally packed to the ceiling with people and backs. And I had people screaming in my face and that not a, not, I can't really narrow down as like a specific person or incident, but just collectively people like screaming at me. We've been waiting here so long. What are you doing? What's, why aren't you picking us up? We've been waving at you. And at that point I was like, you know what? I don't need this. This, this is crazy. I, I just decided at that point in time, it wasn't worth it. And I just walked off the job. <laughs> right. And, those situations, I mean, it's like mob mentality, basically. These people like lose almost their humanity. They just, they're irrational. It, it really was. They, they definitely were like going feral, reverting into some like lord species. It, it was crazy. I see tourists sometimes when I'm in Alaska, and I think it's a sense, uh, it's a combination of they feel like they've, they've paid an amount to be here. And so things should work smoothly. And also there's other people around them that feel that same way. And so they're quicker to say something when they feel like it's not going smoothly or they're being taken advantage of or something. And then because everyone else is like right on that line as well, just right from the start, when, whenever they're on vacation, that it, it becomes a mob so much faster, I think, than a normal yeah. human situation. They, they, they can play off each other and it, it just kind of, it can escalate really quick. But you walk off that job. What happens from there? I mean, did you, did you quit that shift or, you know, was it just a, you knew it was going to end pretty quickly after that and then it ended or what happened after that? You, you know, I was only, I had already put in my two weeks at this point because I was getting ready to transition back up to going to Alaska. Honestly, like when I think about it now, I really should have handled it differently. It was just done out of pure frustration. But I wrote this really scathing note to the manager, you know, just a passive aggressive note. And I just should have talked to him in person. But I wrote this really scathing note just saying, like, I can't believe you put me in this position. It was the most humiliating experience of my life. Why would you do this to me? I thought you valued your employees. And, and then I, I didn't come back. And I ended up staying in Hawaii another couple of weeks and then left. And you went back up to Anchorage and you were driving again. Yeah, I was driving uh, motor coaches again, doing kind of over the road tours and stuff like that. You're back behind the wheel. You're, I'm guessing, making tips again. You're back into more of the, the, tourist, the tourist situation. What were you thinking that, that summer coming back into it out of the supervisor job and out of Hawaii, you know, like the paradise back into Alaska, which your first encounter with Anchorage wasn't so good the last time? How did that whole summer go? Yeah, it, it was night and day. Uh, honestly, that, that summer of 2013 was really, really great. And we had incredible weather. It was the summer that it got really, really hot up here in South Central and Interior Alaska. I really enjoyed the job. I honestly cannot think of like a negative experience I had that entire summer because I was back to driving and, you know, I was getting paid 
to do these things that people spend their entire lives saving for and hoping that they can do one day. And here I am getting to show them all these places and getting paid to do what they're paying for. Honestly, it was a really, really easy transition for me. I didn't really miss Hawaii at all. And I I was just overjoyed to be back driving the bus in South Central Alaska. At that point, you had three summers and two winters under your belt. So you were getting to the point where you probably understood a lot more of what a normal season looks like, what a lot of seasonals deal with. How are you talking to like your friends or your family about being in the lifestyle? Yeah, uh, I'm glad you asked that because that is one of the, I think the most difficult things to explain to people who aren't seasonal workers or don't live like a seasonal lifestyle because, you know, a lot of what your your colleagues, your coworkers, well, I mean, not seasonal coworkers, but people that you've worked with in the past or your friends or family, they kind of expect you to live to the prescribed formula that society expects of you to get a job right out of college, get a house, you know, save money, get in, get assets, get married, have a family, your two week vacation a year, and then retire, which is fine. Uh, I'm, I'm not advocating against that kind of lifestyle. It, it, I'm sure it works great for a lot of people and a lot of people who have that lifestyle. I think they're really happy with it. But, but for me, I think what, you know, my friends, you know, my friends from high school and college and, and my family, and especially my parents, they, they kind of came to the conclusion that before I wasn't happy and working seasonally, I was happy. And that's really all they, they cared about. You know, obviously, like my parents, they, they want me to settle down and, and have a job with, you know, a retirement plan and benefits, but they're very supportive of it. You know, they, they've always, they've come up here and visited me in Alaska. They visited me in other seasonal locations. They, they have been very supportive. And, and my friends have been extremely supportive to the point of, of uh, displaying envy. And I feel like I kind of have to take that with a grain of salt because every now and then I catch myself being envious of them. But then I kind of have to take it back to reality and say, well, hey, I am, I'm living a great lifestyle and a lot of people are envious of me. Yeah, it's always a situation for me where I'll see, you know, my friends back home, they're still together doing, you know, I always bring up playing soccer because I was on a soccer team with all of them. And that's, that's kind of like the caricature of the whole experience. But, you know, I, I envy them for having all of that still and being around each other all the time. But when I do kind of think about where I'm at and also, you know, when they tell me, Oh, you know, it's so cool. You do this, or, you know, I wish I could do that. It is a situation where, yeah, the grass looks greener over there, but it's, it's pretty damn green over here too. It's, it's a pretty cool thing I'm doing. Oh yeah, absolutely. I have very similar experiences with some of my good friends that I've had from high school. And I I think the hardest thing for me has been to miss out on all that stuff. Uh, you know, from working in Alaska in the summer, you work eight days a week, you work all the time and it's very, very difficult to get away. And I've missed a lot. I've missed weddings. I have missed birthdays, reunions. Uh, that's the hardest part for me. I fl- recently, I've been able to fly back for a few weddings. I, I think most of my really close friends keep it out of the middle of the summer because they know I probably won't be able to make those. But yeah, when you when you do miss those and you see these pictures of all your friends together, it's like, okay, or th- this is how I think of it. So when I see that, I think, how many of these can I miss before I'm not considered part of that group anymore? That's the hardest part is, you know, wanting to be there and wanting to do all that, but knowing that this lifestyle I'm in right now is is the one that I, I would choose you know, 10 out of 10 times. So it's, I'm sacrificing that, but it, it's still, you know, you long for it and envy it that they get to do that. Exactly. And you said that you have a blog before we started talking, where can, I mean, it sounds like, you know, you have a lot of thoughts on this whole seasonal thing. Where can people find that? And what are some of the things that you've talked about on the blog? The name of the blog is lifestyles of the poor and restless. And I just want to say that when I say poor, I don't, Obviously, I don't refer to abject poverty. 
Uh, it's more of kind of like a tongue in cheek thing, uh, play off the lifestyles of the rich and famous that show from the eighties or nineties or, or whatever, or cribs, you know, it's, it's a blog that I kind of go back and forth with writing. I haven't posted in a couple months just because I've, I've been gone. I've been traveling. I've been pretty busy lately, but I talk a lot about, you know, how I got started in the seasonal work, how to go about getting jobs working seasonally. I reference a couple of websites. I, I rely on to get seasonal jobs or to learn more about the lifestyle. And one post that I'm particularly proud of, and if you let me, I'd like to read it. It's called Debt, Another Four-Letter Word, because uh, I know so many people in this country are struggling with debt, especially student loan debt. I think I read somewhere that student loan debt's now surpassing credit card debt as the top debt for people, especially people in my age group. Uh, I'm 35 again. I honestly don't consider myself a millennial, but I guess you can group me into that. People who are millennials have a lot of student loan debt, and it's really putting them off to you know, saving for retirement or buying a home. So if it's okay, I like to read this post that I made on my blog, Porn Restless, uh, about debt, if that's okay with you. Yeah, please do. Okay, great. So again, the blog's called Lifestyles of the Poor and Restless, pornrestless.wordpress.com. If you just go to WordPress and search for Porn Restless or Instagram, hashtag Porn Restless or at Porn Restless. That's all together, P-O-O-R-A-N-D-R-E-S-T-L-E-S-S. So this blog post is called Debt, Another Four-Letter Word. I never really had a good mental grasp on debt until recently. Like most of my peers, I had it drilled into my brain throughout high school that I had to go to college to have a career and to make money. Between the pressure from teachers, my parents, and society overall, I felt I had no other option but to go to college after high school. Back then, fall of 2002, it was easy to follow the crowd. It made perfect sense to go to college. I could get federal loans and attend the four-year university that happened to be three miles from my parents' house. However, hindsight is always 2020, and it didn't quite work out that way. Now, it's easy to ask myself, what if? What if I just lived at home and worked full-time and not taken out loans? What if I didn't transfer twice and just stuck it out and lived at home? Many people will say it's futile to think this way, but I often wonder how much money and mental grief I could have saved. However, my 18-year-old brain just didn't work that way. I wanted out of my parents' house and wanted to be somewhere new. So here's what I did. I took out the most amount of money, loan money I could. I lived in the dorms with the meal plan when I could have easily lived at home eating my mom's cooking. I transferred between two colleges twice, failed a class, which in turn lost me my financial aid. I dropped out for a year and then finally graduated. After I failed that class, I had to rely on a private student loan company to pay my tuition. Even though I went through all the financial aid counseling, I had no idea what I was doing by borrowing so much. Somewhere in the furthest reaches of my brain, I knew I had to pay that money back. But hell, that's four years away. That's forever from now. Hell, I'll have a good job so I can make those payments. Because everyone told me I get a good job with a college degree, right? Oh, how wrong I was. First, it didn't help that I graduated in May of 2008, which is the start of the financial crisis in the United States. I went about so many things in the wrong way. I never kept track of how much debt I was racking up, what the interest rates were, or what the payments were going to be. To make matters more complicated, I got married right before my senior year of college, which added to the financial strain. To top everything off, after I graduated, I straight up ignored my student loan debt. Somewhere in my irrational brain, I thought it would be easier on my marriage and my financial situation if I just didn't pay my loans. Wow, I was stupid back then. That's when things got bad. Almost all of my loans had got into default. For reference, most federal loans go into default after 270 days of not paying. For me, it was not good. But I guess it could have been worse. Debt collectors were calling me constantly. My tax refunds were being withheld. And I was receiving a lot of threatening letters in the mail. To make matters worse, the fees were adding up. Eventually, it got to the point where my loan amounts became higher than the original principal. Yes, I was going to pay substantially more than what I initially borrowed. So how did I get out of this hole? Well, it took a lot longer than it should have. Thanks to my warped view on money and debt, I avoided paying off my debt even after I had money. I must have been taking crazy pills back then. Why didn't I pay off my debt earlier? I had the money. I was just hoarding it. 
I finally had money and I wasn't going to spend it all. Again, stupid, stupid, stupid. While I was hoarding money, I was still paying interest. First of all, I had to bring my loans out of default. I chose the loan rehabilitation program. Basically, you pay a small amount per month for nine months, then you go to a higher monthly payment until the loan is paid off. For me, it was $5 a month for nine months, then it was about $100 a month after that. There are two main methods for paying off debts like student loans. They are called the snowball and avalanche methods. I use the avalanche method, which means you pay off the highest interest loans first. This saves you the most money, but isn't the easiest psychologically. Many people recommend the snowball method where you pay off the lowest amount first and then work your way up. The idea is that these small victories give you more motivation to pay off the loans. After I finally acquired a logical brain, I decided on the avalanche method so I could save on paying most interest. Last summer, summer 2017, I made it my mission to pay off the remainder of my debt, which was about $16,000. I made posts on social media about my progress and my methods. In the process, I ended up inspiring a lot of people to tackle their debts. I had quite a few coworkers approached me about my posts and how they helped with paying their debts. Even the student loan Goliath, Naviant, asked me to write an article for the website, which today hasn't been posted. During that summer, I devoted about 90% of my monthly income to paying off debt. You know, I had to make sacrifices and be disciplined. I said no to going out to bars or restaurants. I didn't buy anything that wasn't consumable or an experience all summer. Being laser focused on paying off my debt, I knocked out 16 grand in three and a half months. It wasn't easy, but it was simple. Paying off my debt that quickly really showed me that if you set a goal and focus, you can achieve almost anything. It took me nine years to pay off all my student loans. However, I don't think college was a waste of time or money. I look back on college as a time where I acquired knowledge, new horizons, friendships, and unforgettable experiences. It would have been difficult for me to gain all the perspective I have now if I didn't go through all those hardships with debt. Now I have a much better understanding of finances and debt, and being debt-free at 34 isn't too shabby either. I had help during this journey, mainly in the form of blogs. I'll list them below. If you're struggling with debt, don't give up. Make payments any way you can. Get a side hustle. Move back home. Swallow your pride. Believe me, I wish I did. And then at the end of the post here, I list a couple of websites that I use to help get me out of debt. That's incredible. There were there were a few parts I definitely liked. When, not that I like this part, but when you said that you graduated May of 2008, it was, it was that feeling of, oh, oh no, I know how this is going to go. Exactly. Yep. I liked the part that you said, I didn't pay for anything that wasn't consumable or an experience. Uh, I like that part because it is, it's important. Like, like you said, with the snowball effect, you know, you need those little mental, not hurdles, but like the pushes of, Oh, I'm doing, I'm doing the right thing. I'm doing a good thing. And experiences are a good way to give yourself a little something on the side sort of as a reward instead of, you know, the bars and whatever else. Oh, absolutely. And for me, especially something I really appreciate is the concept of minimalism and that's something I'm really into. And it's easy to be a minimalist when you're living a seasonal lifestyle because you're always moving. But honestly, also, if you're trying to get rid of debt or to be more diligent about saving, minimalism is also a great concept in that regard. We talked about your summer in Ketchikan, your first two summers in Anchorage, your time in Utah, and then also your time in Hawaii. What are some of the other places you've worked in? And then also you said you traveled there for a little bit. Uh, I'll give you the Reader's Digest version. The winter of 2013, I didn't work for most of it. Actually, I went to South America by myself and I had never been, I mean, I'd been to Canada and you know, places like that, but I hadn't really been to a foreign country on my own ever until that time. So I went to South America and that was a pretty eye-opening experience. Went there for about six weeks, really kind of gained a lot of perspective on just how other people in the world live and other cultures. The latter part of the winter of 2014, I was kind of all over the place. I lived in five states in five months. So in January of 2014, I lived in Washington. Then February, I lived in Arizona. March, I lived in Utah. And then April, I lived in Nevada. May, I lived in Alaska. This is all part of a job I had. Uh, so the same company I was working for in the lower 48, working as a motor coach driving instructor, CDL driving instructor, kind of traveling all over the place doing that. 
I finally hit a point in 2016 where I kind of had more or less an existential crisis where I was thinking, I don't want the only thing I'm ever going to be good at is to be driving a bus. So I decided to completely abandon that idea and move to Homer, Alaska, which is a really incredible town, really great community. Really loved it there. And I worked on a fishing boat, uh, not commercial, a charter fishing boat, but quickly found out that working on a boat is not especially glamorous and especially working on a charter boat. You might as well be a tour bus driver, but you're just teaching people how to fish. You're not actually fishing yourself. I did it for a while, but didn't really enjoy it and ended up spending the last part of that summer of 2016 working uh, at a remote lodge, kind of as a jack of all trades, maintenance, kayak guy, stand up paddleboard guide, hiking guide, dishwasher, just kind of doing odd jobs here and there, kind of living in a remote community called Halibut Cove, which has about 80 year round residents. But more or less, the seasonal work I've had has really revolved around being a motor coach driver and guide. That's what I'm doing currently. That's what I did last summer. I did one more winter working in Hawaii in Kailua Kona, working for an outdoor guiding company, doing dispatch, uh, vehicle maintenance, and some light guiding. What would you say your favorite job you've had doing seasonally is? Uh, You know, it always comes back to driving the motor coach in Alaska, being the driver guide, being on the road, taking people to these incredible locations. I always tell people that at the end of the tour, I say, you are in my office and I have the best view because I have this giant view window where I'm driving on the highway. I can see all the mountains, see Denali, I see these incredible sights and more or less that motor coach, that is my office. You know, I'm not punching a clock. I'm not sitting at a desk. I am seeing the world. And for me, you know, being on the road and driving that bus, that has always something that I've gone back to and something I can always rely on to be an enjoyable job for me. Which book do you think has had sort of the biggest influence on you in terms of, you know, you jumping into seasonal life and also now being so open to jumping between locations and jobs? It's going to kind of sound like cliche, but Into the Wild. I've read it 11 times. I actually just finished reading it here about uh, four or five days ago. Again, I make it a point to read it every year before the summer season starts in Alaska. I don't necessarily prescribe to a lot of the tenants that the protagonist in that book does, but I really feel like a lot of his philosophy is something that I can be on board with. You know, I, I first read that book before I even considered seasonal work and it kind of resonated with me back then. And, and now I kind of make it a point to, to read into the wild at least once a year. What are, what are some of the philosophies that you really like out of it? Mainly just, you know, getting out of your comfort zone and, and, and doing something completely different. I'm not a big advocacy of asceticism, but at the same time, you know, doing what you want to do. And I really feel like the protagonist in that book, Christopher McCandless, he, he went against the grain for sure. He didn't do what society prescribed for him. He didn't, you know, he, I mean, he went to college and he got a degree, but he didn't settle down. He didn't get a house and a family and a career. He, he actually lived his life. I mean, he, he died really young, but I think he did a lot more living than, than most people do that live to be in their eighties. I think, I think for me, that was the biggest thing is, you know, he hitchhiked all over the country and, you know, his, his death was needless and tragic, but at the same time, he had some experiences that most people who live their entire lives will never have. If you had some advice for, you know, somebody just getting out of high school that probably didn't want to go to college or just getting out of college, unsure of what to do, really don't have a job lined up, and they and they came to you and said, the seasonal life looks pretty cool. It's, it sounds like something that I would really get into. How do you think I should start into it? And what are some ideas that I should keep in my mind as I'm going through it? I think, I think coming out of high school, people, some people, I feel like most people have kind of an idea of what they would want to major in in college, or maybe their parents, you know, maybe their parents are a doctor and they're like, well, my parents are doctor, there's a doctor, most of my parents are doctors. So I'm going to go to medical school because that's what I've grown up with. That's what I know. That's my comfort zone. But I would just encourage people to be more open-minded and just say, well, hey, 
even though my peers are doing this and even though this is what is expected of me, I need to really sit down and think about what I want and what's going to make me happy. And, you know, coming and working in Alaska or anywhere else, like a national park for a seasonal job, yeah, it might not yield a career for you, but it'll at least give you perspective and it'll let you know exactly what you'd be more comfortable doing with. Who knows? You could come work a seasonal job and find out that you don't want to work in medicine or some other field or the family business. You, you want to work in the hospitality or tourism industry or something completely different. I, I think that at that age, you don't really, you can't really know exactly what you're going to do with the rest of your life. So I, th- I think for someone that came to me saying that they didn't really know what to do next, I, I would just say, it's kind of, I don't like using this term, but take a leap of faith. The seasonal jobs are everywhere. I mean, I'm sure that People who live no matter anywhere in this country or in this world, there are seasonal jobs. There's probably seasonal jobs like 10 minutes from where most people live. And, and just to see what it's like to meet other people, to gain new perspectives. Uh, the worst that can happen is that you don't like it and you can quit and get another job. There's not really a lot of risk involved. I, I would just encourage people just, just to do it. Yeah, your old life or even your current life, if you're just taking a short break, looks so different from another perspective. And it really gives you a, a much clearer idea of, you know, if that's the way you want to go, or if maybe you, like you said, sit down and think about what do I want for me as compared to what do the people around me want? And I think from your, from your debt article, like back then, and, you know, still now these 18 year olds were basically told like, you should go and they, they weren't told this part, but that's kind of what was happening. It's like, you should go into, you know, huge amounts of debt for this degree that'll then get you this job. And it's, it isn't, I don't think it's a time of your life where you should be making those choices that are, you know, going to affect the rest of your life. It's, it was a really frightening time looking back because I, and you and a lot of other people had didn't really have any clue or maybe maybe we didn't you know pay attention when we should have but that that we were making these choices that would affect us so heavily later on down the line so i couldn't agree more i i really think that at that time in your life you you have been essentially institutionalized to to public school or private school and to your family and you don't have as broad of a world view you know obviously there are exceptions to that but I ultimately think that once you get to that age, 18, 19, 20, young adulthood, that's, that's really the time not to, not to you know, have tunnel vision, but to really broaden your horizons. Have you heard of Australia or um, European Union or New Zealand having more of a culture that suggests and even embraces the idea of a gap year? Yeah, I, I'm pretty familiar with that. Unfortunately, I haven't had the opportunity yet to travel to those areas. But obviously, in my line of work and in my travels, I have come into contact with a lot of people, you know, from Europe, especially Germany, New Zealand. I had a roommate in Hawaii that was from New Zealand, and in and I've met, I've met, I feel like I've met like. 75% of Australia's population, oddly enough, a lot of them come to Alaska. They, that's what they kind of tell me that their priorities there are a little bit different. I really find that refreshing. You know, they, they kind of encourage the young people to, you know, see a new perspective, travel. And I, I think that's great. And I think that's something that really should be adopted by a lot more people here. Kiwis and Australians that I've talked to about it, it, it just, it sounds like such a fuller experience of a year or you know however long that they do it than what I had back then. I mean I am glad that I went to college like you said, but I think that experience that they had was just it was so much more in terms of perspective and learning about life and learning about decision making and you know especially learning about yourself. And I think it's it's so important, especially at that age in particular, that the system that we have right now is one that sets a lot of people up for failure. I'm, it's definitely, you know, for some people that it is the right choice, you know, go straight to college if you know what you want and all that stuff. But for a lot of people, for the majority, for the people that like you and I then became in debt and didn't use our degree how we were told that we would, it just seems like such a better 
option. And I think in America, for the most part, it's just, it's, it's almost unspeakable to a lot of parents that, that, that could happen or should happen. And they, they just push it out of their mind. No, that's not for my kid. No, ab- absolutely. And I, I think the only way for that to change is there for to be a cultural sea change in society. Honestly, like I'm prepared to be optimistic about a lot of things in life, but that's something I'm a little pessimistic about, uh, at least for now. I mean, <laughs> I've got all these magazines and this website that'll tell everybody about it, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to talk about it a lot and bring that idea to a lot of people. And it, it sounds, it, you know, it sounds like you really are too. And would you want to, like, we could put an article of yours or something from your blog onto the website, if that would be something you would be interested, we would, that would be awesome for us. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I really appreciate it. You know, I've read a lot of your your blog posts too on the seasonals. One one thing I really like, uh, and I kind of adopted this on my own blog, are the primers about kind of going about getting work in different locations. And the one that I really loved was the one about working on St. Thomas on the Virgin Islands, because I've been to St. Thomas several times and I almost moved there for a seasonal job, but ended up going back to Hawaii because I just had more of a connection there. I, th- I think that's like a really great resource, especially for people who aren't really sure how to get started in the seasonal lifestyle. The primers were, and they still are something that, you know, we really wanted to push to our writers. We're offering, you know, a hundred dollars plus for a primer, whereas our other stuff were, it's a smaller amount. And so we would love to have more of those on there. Cause I, th- I think when somebody looks at seasonal life coming from, a normal job or, you know, it's coming from school, they're like, okay, well, that's, it's like a completely different lifestyle. And I don't know anybody that's doing it. How, how would I possibly go about it? And that's right. if they even know it exists. And so I think that primer giving step-by-step exact, basically spoon feeding them as much as you can, because in the beginning that it's really helpful. It, it's like, yeah, I, I, I'm jumping into this thing like I'm doing most of the work, but having someone, you know, almost hold my hand and show me where to go. And then once, you know, I kind of learn the ropes, I can go from there and add to the body of knowledge. But those things that were really important when we first started the website. And it, I've had a lot of other people say, Oh, yeah, I could write it about here. And every time I'm like, please do. Like I'm I would love to throw money at you. And yeah. they just, uh, we just haven't had another one. The, the teaching English in Thailand one was, I think, probably in my mind, like the crown jewel of them. And, you know, I wrote the St. Thomas one and we've had a, we've had a couple other ones that are similar like that. But it, I mean, if I could fill the whole website with that, I think that would, that would, that's my goal personally, like adventure stories and, you know, the essays about the seasonal theory, those are important too but the primers i think that's where i really tried to focus and it just i don't know it just seems like it's really hard to get people to write those for for me like you know i've written a couple i wrote one about hawaii when i read it now i wrote it about a year ago and when i read it now it kind of sounds more like a cautionary tale than something that people should be excited about at the same time i think that's beneficial because when a lot of people think about hawaii you know, when they go there, they think, oh, yeah, I could live here. I could live on the beach. I could just eat coconuts and avocados. It'd be great. But it's not that simple. Uh, so when I wrote that, it was, it was definitely more of a cautionary tale. But I think it did have some, uh, some definitely some pertinent information that could be useful. Yeah, I think when I, when I tell my St. Thomas story now, it's much more cautionary tale than this is awesome. You should do it. I, the article, I, I stayed away from that. I, I kind of gave it a, a fair shot, but there was just some things that happened down there and that it's like, okay, well, if I'm being honest to people that think about moving down there, there's certain things you have to point out about the, the violence and the crime and just the, all the socioeconomic factors that are there. And a lot of the, the culture that comes with even the service industry there and the, the tourism there. Yes. It can be amazing. It can be everything you could possibly think it is, but you have to be honest and tell people about a couple of things before they go down there. So, oh, for sure. And I, I mean, I got that impression uh, being on USVI just a couple of days. I mean, to St. John and St. Thomas a couple of times, and 
I talked to some people who work down there and I definitely kind of got like, you know, the same vibe that you, you gave off in the article. Like, it can be great, but it also could be really challenging. You know, it's something that I'm glad I did and I, I wouldn't change it at all. And some of my favorite people in the world I met while I was working down there, while I, you know, was having some really rough days down there, I met some of my favorite people. So it was ultimately a good thing. I think there are certain people that should definitely go. It's a wonderful place. But um, let me ask you this. Is there, is there a question that I didn't ask that you think I should? No, I think really you covered it, everything. I think one more thing that I, I like to talk about uh, just in terms of, of seasonal living. And again, I th- we, we touched on this a little bit earlier about you know how you explain your lifestyle or quantify it to people who don't live the seasonal lifestyle, like your friends or family. I've kind of thought about this a lot. And there's really, I think, three types of people who live seasonal lifestyles. And the first one People who are right out of college or high school, just doing this for a summer job, doing it to make some money, pay off some student loan debt, have an experience. The second type are the retired people or semi-retired who just want to keep busy, just want to you know have new experiences, do something. And then the third type, people like me, and it kind of sounds like you as well, who are, are younger, but out of college, out of high school, but love the lifestyle. And I think this is an unfair way to label it, but I've heard some people toss around the term failure to launch. I hate that. I don't think that's a fair assessment of the kind of person I am because my whole young adulthood, I struggled with really knowing what I wanted to do with my life. And now I know what I want to do and I don't see changing it. Yeah, I might settle down. I might live in one place, but I still know that I love working in the industry I'm in. I think if anyone's kind of discouraged or kind of having second thoughts, just kind of know that you're not alone. There are so many of us out there who don't really know what we want. You can be 18, you can be 35, you can be 60. And it doesn't matter because you will find someone in this lifestyle at any job you take who is going to be in the exact same shoes you are in. And if they're not, they were. Yeah, that's really well said. Pennick, I want to thank you for coming on today. It was great hearing your story and excited to read more of your work on your blog and uh, hear more of the stories you have to tell. Right. I really appreciate you having me on. It, it's, it's been a real pleasure. I'm, I'm really glad that the seasonals podcasts and the magazine Facebook page exists just to kind of let people know that there are other alternatives out there. So thank you again. Yeah, that's it. That's the episode. The seasonals are Kelly Mogg, Ryan Dininger, me, Joey Ravinsky. The theme song by Ryan Dininger, Joe Williams, Louis Leva, Chappie, Thomas Hamilton. Follow us on Instagram at the seasonals underscore. Like us on Facebook. Listen to our next episode. That's it. We're out. Yeah.